Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Uh, use this opportunity then to discuss a case uh, that I think is typical of what represents day-to-day practice and seeing when we should and when we shouldn't reverse anticoagulation. I think the important thing to bear in mind here is you've heard two talks about intracranial hemorrhage. I think timing is far more important in intracranial hemorrhage compared to into the GI tract where you have an open compartment composed to a very, very closed compartment. So we can be a little bit more relaxed in timings as gastroenterologists compared to your stroke physicians. So this is a 47-year-old gentleman who's referred uh, to the medical take with a three-day history of abdominal discomfort uh, and a more uh, recent history of dark stool. Uh, he is on um, a Pixaban for a provoked DVT. These are his uh, clinical observations. So I would say he has a borderline tachycardia. He is, however, normotensive. He's described as being warm and well-perfused. Um, his abdomen was soft, uh, no specific tenderness, and there is dark stool on the glove, which is probably suggestive of uh, Melina. If we look at his biochemistry quickly, the headline points are he has a hemoglobin of 115 grams per deciliter, and his urea is disproportionately elevated to his creatinine. It usually goes in a 1 to 10 fashion. So I think most of us in the room would agree that this gentleman is having an upper GI bleed. So the first thing you do is what you do for all of these patients, regardless of whether they are on a DOAC or not. So you keep your patient um, nil by mouth or give them nothing to eat or drink. You get some IV access established. You want to resuscitate them, usually with a crystalloid. There's no strong data on intravenous PPIs. Um, However, I can't remember the last time I saw a patient with a GI bleed that was not on an IV PPI by the time I got to them. Um, But there is no strong data on mortality anyway. Um, This patient probably doesn't require blood transfusion at this threshold, and you want to regularly reassess to make sure the measures that you've put in place at the start are working. Uh, These are just some local transfusion protocols that we have. So we tend to aim for a target hemoglobin of more than 70. There's now level one randomized data to show that a restrictive transfusion strategy confers better outcomes compared to a liberal transfusion strategy. Uh, We tend to hold platelets in patients unless they are bleeding and have a platelet count of less than 50. And then you can consider giving alternative products as needed based upon the situation. So if we come back to this gentleman's case... um, these are the things that I would look at if I was deciding about endoscopy and reversal of anticoagulation. So he's, he's, he's normotensive, he's got melina only, um, and his hemoglobin is 115. So in this case, I think this is an example in someone who probably does not require reversal of anticoagulation and standard medical measures, provided that they are working, should be adopted. However, if we change the case slightly, um, in a similar kind of demographic and presentation, however, the big difference here is that he now is also having persistent hematemesis in addition to melina. Uh, he is now tachycardic. He's hypotensive. He's shocked, essentially, is what the clinical examination is describing. His hemoglobin is less than 80, um, and his urea is again elevated compared to his creatinine. So this is someone that's potentially unstable, and I would argue that once the measures that we've put in place have been put in order, and if they're not working, this is someone that you may want to consider providing reversal of anticoagulation, and this would be a more suitable case uh, than the earlier one that I presented. And this is really based upon the ANEXA-4 study, uh, which was uh, a study looking at whether if we gave 
um, and Dexnet Alpha in patients with significant GI hemorrhage. Uh, we know that 85% of patients in this study had good or excellent hemostatic uh, efficacy as judged by an independent panel. Uh, this is the bit where I get involved, endoscopy. So there's lots of different things that we can use. Essentially, endoscopic therapy is divided into uh, injection-based therapy with epinephrine or adrenaline, or we can use mechanical therapy based upon diathermy or mechanical pressure with a clip. What you're seeing here, probably most people are um, kind of their eyes coming down to the, the, the video in the bottom, the middle there. That's an arterial bleed in the second part of the duodenum. This is a novel over-the-scope clip, which we can use to apply sort of tamponade to this area. So if you keep watching the video, you'll see that the clip is deployed um, and the bleeding settles down. And what's really important here is you need to get your patient stabilized and resuscitated before we can do all these measures because if, if the tap is still wide open and you haven't slowed down the bleed, it can be very difficult to visualize that bleeding and it can therefore make any attempts at endoscopic therapy more difficult. And that can be sometimes a message that needs to be transferred to the acute team and the emergency team about timing. So just to summarize, uh, resuscitation remains the cornerstone of uh, emergency therapy for patients with GI bleeding. Fortunately for us as gastroenterologists, the vast majority respond to medical therapy and we can stay in bed till the morning. Um, all patients should have an endoscopy within 24 hours, but do consider Andexnet Alpha for those life-threatening, unstable cases, which I hope I've uh, done a good job of describing for you in your clinical practice. Thank you. Panel, what do you think? Well... <laughs> If I have a patient who's vomiting bright red blood in front of me, it's, ur it's urgent to me. Hmm. But considering the timing, when would be a good um, sort of, what's the time frame for early, late endoscopy? Yeah. So, so we know that all patients, all comers, should have an endoscopy within 24 hours. There's good data on that. There was a randomized study that was done looking to answer your specific question about whether early versus super early endoscopy, which was an eight-hour cutoff. So if we intervened within eight hours of presentation, that did not show an improvement in mortality compared to after eight hours, which is why most gastroenterologists would say resuscitate your patients, stabilize them, put an airway tube down, get them to intensive care or theaters, and then do that. And usually those are reserved for patients with portal hypertension or varices that don't settle down. But you, you, you want to slow down that tap so, and you want to stabilize the patient and then get them to an endoscopy suite. And often that is enough for patients. And however, if you have an unstable patient that's not responding to those measures, yes, we'll have to come in and do that case uh, there and then, essentially. But not for everyone, is what I'm saying. I have an add-on question on that with regard to decision-making. Uh, you described you're standing in front of this patient vomiting blood. So who's responsible for decision-making? The ED physician in front saying, okay, this is severe, now come in immediately? Or you at the telephone at home at nighttime and uh, say, okay, delayed is also okay? So who is responsible for decision-making? It's, it's always a contentious issue. Um, essentially, I would say that it's a joint decision-making process. Um, and actually, often your emergency physician will call and say, look, I've tried this, it's not working And actually, then you will come in and you will, you will go in and do that case, provided it's done in a safe environment. That's the key thing. And, and if you go in too early, I can tell you from experience, you are not able to see anything bar blood. And actually, you've then done an invasive procedure in someone that's critically unwell. And actually, you've not very got, got much further. And often they go to the radiology suite afterwards. So there is something about 
finding that sweet spot in terms of timing of endoscopy. Um, and that's often a joint decision-making process. How about hematology? Do you have them as part of your team? We were discussing that as well and just trying to figure out, you know, does that, is that the team of the future that in some way, shape, or form has a, a clotting expert as, as part of it? Or uh, I know that won't happen in smaller hospitals, mm. but... Certainly larger hospitals, that's a potential. To be honest with you, my experience of hematologists in life-threatening GI bleeding is they don't really want to be involved. They almost want the gastroenterologist and the emergency physician to make the decision. And if they say, if you're going to do the endoscopy, then yes, give the drug as a bridge to endoscopic therapy. But often they believe that decision can be made independent of them. But the reality is, particularly with Andexnet Alpha, and I'm referencing the protocol that we've developed, is that it's a relatively new agent. There's a relative um, sometimes uncertainty about who to give it and who not to give it, and I hope this addresses that slightly. Um, and often we've agreed that a hematologist at the beginning should be involved in facilitating that decision-making process, both that it's safe and effective. And also there's a, there is a cost element to this. So we've included a hematologist in our decision-making tool, but I believe with time, as we get more comfortable with these patients, we get more experience with the reversal agent, and we get more data from registries, they probably won't be as involved as they are at the moment. Thank you very much. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, EMCREG International, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.